Hannah Deacon hit the headlines because of her relentless campaign to legalise medical cannabis, driven by the fact that her son Alfie has a rare condition which escalated to cause up to 30 seizures a day. Rather than sitting back and accepting the treatment which was available, Hannah recognised that it was inadequate and even dangerous and so has researched, travelled abroad and relentlessly campaigned in order to get the government to change their policy on the use of medical cannabis. Hannah, when Alfie was born, were there any signs that he was unwell? No, I had quite a traumatic birth with him. He was born very quickly. My my, um, contractions weren't right. Having had a second child, I realised my contractions weren't right with him. My waters were broken and he came very, very quickly in three hours. And he was born with a very low APGAR score and that was quite worrying. But after a few minutes, he was fine and I breastfed him and he was absolutely fine. I was home within 24 hours and I didn't really notice anything I mean, I look back now and I think the warning signs were possibly there, but I was a first-time mum and I never listened to me. And I think that's a big lesson I've learned, is always listen to you when you're a mother. Um, I think when you're a first-time mum, you don't have the confidence to believe that you know what's best. No, and you think you're being paranoid as well, don't you? Uh, Yeah, definitely. And I think the first three months he fed okay but he seemed hungry all the time I since found out that actually he had a drop palate bone in his mouth which was caused by the birth which wasn't picked up until he was a lot older when I took him to a cranial sacral therapist I was just told my positioning was wrong all the time but so he was a hungry baby he didn't sleep very well but other than that everything was fine it was only about four months old that he became very unwell a lot he was very had lots of illnesses lots of viruses lots of sickness bugs things like that and then at five months he started to breathe strangely one day and and was making a sort of grunting sound and I took him into hospital and he had a shadow on his right lung but there was nothing you know no one said anything and it stopped and then I started to I was breastfeeding him I I did introduce a little bit of formula because he again because he wasn't feeding very well but you know I I do feel quite upset about that because I did try to seek help with that and everyone just told me it it was my fault basically (laughs) and I wish I'd probably employed a breastfeeding counsellor but again I didn't know they existed until much later on So really nothing sort of highlighted it to me that there was anything other than he was just quite ill all the time. And then at six months old, he had a persistent cough, which never went away. And then at eight months old, he had his first seizure. And that's when, you know... And that must have been horrible, that first seizure. That must have been terrifying. It was horrendous. He, Looking back now, he was starting the cluster during the day. He was having absences and we didn't realise that he... I put him outside in the garden. It was, it was met. I remember it, 27th of May, 2012. Never forget that day. I'd been at work. My mother-in-law had had Alfie. He was in the garden in in like a little um, travel cot with his toys and he suddenly just fell backwards. And I just noticed it and I thought, that's really strange. But again, I, if I'd have known the catastrophic thing that was going to happen that night, I'd have taken him straight to A&E, but I didn't. I just thought, oh, that's a bit strange. And it probably wouldn't have made any difference in the no, scheme of things. No, it wouldn't anyway. have made any difference. But, you know, it's a guilt thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's like, as being his mum, I've had to deal with a lot of guilt and a lot of things. I thought maybe if I'd done things differently, things would be different. But yeah, he didn't want to eat. He was very fussy. He was very upset. Drew put him to bed, my partner put him to bed because I had been at work and I was tired of sitting in the garden having a glass of wine. And we went to bed. And then at about midnight, I was woken by a scream, a very, very sort of rabid scream and I ran to him and he was having a huge tonic-clonic seizure he the biggest you know just the whole body shaking throffing at the mouth Mm. he was eight months old obviously so he's a tiny little baby I picked him out he was on fire he was burning up 
it was the it was just the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life and we just we just put him in the car and took him straight to A&E and within a couple of hours it was very apparent that it wasn't a febrile seizure he was very seriously ill he was having two to three minute tonic clonic seizures every 20 minutes to half an hour and they basically followed the, the epilepsy protocol, which every hospital will have, and every hospital knows how to follow, and nothing, it didn't do anything. And in the end, he was transferred to intensive care in Stoke. So that, you know, that was obviously very, very, very difficult. And we ended up in hospital for nearly four months. And then they put him on medication. Yeah, we were in intensive care for about two weeks in Stoke. They, were, they didn't have a neurologist in the hospital so we had to liaise with Birmingham Children's Hospital. They didn't have a bed, that's why we ended up in Stoke. Birmingham Children's Hospital, obviously, again, we're f- telling them, you know, at one point he was on seven anti-epileptics. He was still seizing. They kept taking him off life support, on life support, off life support. He was just having seizures going in and out of children's ward into the intensive care unit. It was the most horrendous, frightening thing that I have ever experienced. They, at one point, had to put a central line in his neck while he was awake because... They couldn't get lines into him and I had to watch him. It goes against every part of your body as a mother to watch your baby go through what I've seen him go through. And Mm -hmm. I think that I will be traumatised for the rest of my life because Mm -hmm. of what I've seen my little boy go through. Um, I hope that he doesn't remember it, um, but he probably does. You know, he probably does very deep down inside him. He probably, you know, he is a very anxious child at times and things. And I think that, you know, going through what he went through as a baby will have had a great impact on him um even if he can't verbalize it so in the end I actually was following my gut and I just thought this is wrong this is just not happening he'd been seizing at that point for over two weeks I went to the um boss of in the intensive care unit and I just said you need to move us you need to move us somewhere where there's a neurologist I don't feel comfortable with some guy at the end of the phone advising you he doesn't know what clinically what he looks like you're just describing it it's not acceptable in the end, we got transferred to Great Ormond Street Hospital because I'm from Brighton originally and I felt safer there because my friends and family could visit me. Mm-hmm. Great Ormond Street Hospital were amazing. They did every test again. They also did a test called oliclonal bands, which is basically a test where they put blood and serum from the brain into um, dry ice. So it's like held in time and they test it. And it, he had loads of white blood cells going throughout his body. So the normal blood cell count was normal. They had to go deeper into his body, into his functions. And he had what they felt was a massive immune response, which co- correlated with the fact that he'd been very unwell for months beforehand. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're going to give him intravenous steroids. And, and they took us into this room and they said, if it doesn't work, he probably will die. Oh. And that was just... so tough. Oh, it was shocking. And to go, you know, Drew and I had only been together probably three years. You know, it was just the most momentous thing. He's also self-employed. So we were at that point thinking, well, how are we going to pay our mortgage? You know, mm. we need to be there for Abby. Luckily, my mum and our family has helped us so much in that regard financially, which is a basic thing. But we're very lucky that they were able to do that because it just took the pressure of us. And Drew didn't work for two months when Alfie became sick because he, ha- I had to have him with me. It was mm-hmm. just the most frightening thing. But the steroids did work, thank God. You know, they worked and they worked very quickly. And that's when they diagnosed him with immune responsive epilepsy. Um, he was put onto the ward. He was like a newborn baby. He lost every skill. He couldn't sit, he couldn't eat, he couldn't feed. Um, what I would say as well is that his first seizure coincided with me stopping breastfeeding. So I was breastfeeding him and four days later was his first tonic-clonic seizure. Had that triggered it, the change of uh, I think milk? so. I've been told by every doctor I've mentioned it to, no. But 
Maybe a coincidence, perhaps. I don't believe so. I think he's if he's been if we were being told he had an immune responsive epilepsy, my body was giving him my immune system, yeah. and my immune system stopped, and he couldn't control what was going on in his body any longer with his own immune it system because it was sense. so immature. It makes sense, yeah. but. I've always been told by doctors, oh, no, it's a coincidence, but I, I don't believe in coincidences like that, I'm afraid. And, and that is what what I feel. Obviously, I could be wrong, but as a mother, that's what I feel. I think it's too much of a, a coincidence for it not to be um, the facts. So we got transferred back to our local hospital and basically we just had to rehabilitate Alfie, you know, teach him all his skills again, wean him off all... He was on morphine, clonidine, loads of anti-epileptics. Obviously, none of it worked, so we had to wean him off all of that. Watching if our eight-month-old baby go through cold turkey is pretty horrific. It was just, honestly, so harrowing. But actually, only just the beginning. If I knew then what I knew now... You probably thought you were coming to the end of it at that point. We probably did, yeah. Well, Mm. very much so. We thought we were coming to the end of it. His seizures stopped. We went home. And obviously, we did have support like play specialist and uh, physiotherapist, things like that. But what we've seen over the years, obviously, along with austerity, is that we had help at the beginning and it's just dwindled away to nothing, pretty much, when we really did need help when he became very unwell. He basically had clusters then every eight months. It was cyclical in nature. It was weird. It was like, you know, we weaned him off all the drugs. He remained on a low dose of antiepileptic and a low dose of steroids under the advice of our neurologist, who was now at Birmingham Children's. We transferred back to Birmingham Children's because it's our local children's hospital. Mm. We did that, we did start to wean it, and then it happened again, and he said, the doctor said, oh, it's because you've weaned the drugs, but it was eight months later, pretty much to the day, and I said this, I said, it's cyclical, and he said, no, it's not, it's just a coincidence, again, (laughs) another coincidence. Again, I just thought, well, okay, you know, you listen to the doctor, they're right, they're the the doctor, aren't they? Who am I? I'm just mum, you know, what do I know? And then it happened every eight months until he was four. And then it started to happen every three weeks. And it just went bang every three weeks. And so we were in hospital once or twice a month. He was having up to five doses of intravenous steroids every time. He was having really aggressive clusters. At that time, we thought he had an immune response of epilepsy, as I say. But he did have what were called screaming seizures. So we would wake in the night. He would always start a cluster in the night, maybe any time between midnight and three, four in the morning where he would scream and then have a seizure, which is really frightening to be woken up like that Mm -hmm, as well. mm -hmm. I don't think I'll ever sleep the way I did before. You know, you don't anyway with children, but I think definitely, you know, that was very, very difficult to deal with. And then when he was five, he got diagnosed with a condition called PCDH19, which is a genetic disorder found on the X chromosome. So usually only girls have it because when boys have it, the Y chromosome takes over and they're non-symptomatic. So there's probably lots of boys with PCDH19. They just don't have symptoms. But with Alfie, he has something called mosaicism. So it's some genes that are affected, not all, which means the Y chromosome can't take over. So when they have a low amount of genes affected or a high amount of genes affected, you get very severe symptoms. Usually if it's 50-50, it's not too bad. So if he's probably got a low amount or a high amount, we don't actually know, but we know he's got mosaicism. It's also non-inherited, so I don't have the gene and nor does dad. So they call it a spontaneous reproduction, so they just don't know where it's come from. I think one day genetics will go far enough for us to understand where it did come from Mm. and what happened to him. But I don't, I mean, I just don't know, you know, and that's what's really hard. We actually got a phone call on Christmas Eve 
when we knew he wouldn't be in hospital so we were going to try and have a nice Christmas and we got a phone call on Christmas Eve at 1.30 on Christmas Eve, I never forget it, from his neurologist saying we found what's wrong with Alfie, Great Ormond Street have done this genetic test and he's got PCDH19 and he said with age we hope he'll get better but other than that there's no there's no treatment for it. So I still to this day do not know why we had a phone call on Christmas Eve. If he'd phoned me and said there's a tablet and it will go away then I'd have kissed him but the mm. fact is is that he was telling me that my child would have to live like this forever we were always told that if it was immune responsive epilepsy it was likely he'd grow out of it so that was major <clears throat> and drew and i were obviously devastated and we had to spend the whole of christmas day pretending we didn't know because we didn't want to upset our family mm-hmm. and then we told them on boxing day and it was again another horrendously traumatic experience that could have been avoided by people thinking about how they might deal with things better and i think that's happened to us a lot where people may not have thought about the impact on a family i think the experiences i've had a lot is that possibly people within that sort of you know neurologists get maybe immune to it because they deal with it every day it's their job they Mm. deal with it every day but actually these are people these are children these are families living in horrendous situations every day and I don't think that they're given enough thought or kindness at all well I don't ever feel I was and and having the work I do now I deal with a lot of families and a lot of them don't get the respect or kindness given to them that they should we you know carried on as we were and then at five when Alfie turned five he his seizures started to come every four to seven days so we were at four he was every three weeks and at five it was every four to seven days so at that point he was having nearly up to 25 to 30 doses of steroids a month he was in hospital sometimes four five six times a month when he was very very bad we had to go in twice a week sometimes you know it was just horrendous our local hospital has been amazing we were very close with them actually the nurses they were all I think you know they have listened to me so many times mm-hmm. talk about stuff when they probably were too busy to but they've always been very kind I find and nurses are usually brilliant they're amazing and the support staff there mm-hmm. as well at the play specialists and things absolutely amazing people and I'm so grateful to them. I've always been so grateful to them for giving us the support to get through what we did. So when he turned, yeah, when he turned five and he started to, that started to happen, I just was obviously so overwhelmed with the fact that, you know, he couldn't go on. And every time we took him into A&E, the doctors were like, you know, this protocol of giving him intravenous steroids is highly dangerous. But they did it because that was the protocol from the doctor. It was the only thing that worked. We tried times before we had tried just anti-epileptics again because they say sometimes the presentation can change but no he is steroid responsive absolutely nothing else will work with his seizures he would seize for weeks if you didn't give him steroids so then I thought well why do steroids work why do steroids work well what do they do they work in two ways they either suppress your immune system or they reduce the myelin inflammation in your brain every time I had a cluster he would always trying to be ill that's what I felt he was always either trying to cough or trying to have a runny nose or trying to have a temperature every time. And obviously the presentation before he had his seizures and the fact that my breast milk was preventing him from having seizures. So I was putting all that together in my head. I may be wrongly, but as a mum, I was desperate. And I thought, thought, right, okay, we need to find something that is the same as steroids. We need to find something that isn't going to kill him, that will work. 
And I just started to do research and I joined the PCDH19 support group, which is in America, where in 29 states medical cannabis is available for use um, under prescription and sometimes without prescription in dispensaries and things. And I spoke to people and I just said, you know, do you use medical cannabis? And I met this one woman called Emily, whose daughter was the same as Alfie. They tried all the drugs, the ketogenic diet. We tried the ketogenic diet with Alfie, didn't do anything. Her daughter had been seizure-free for nearly a year on medical cannabis with, and they'd reduced all her drugs to a very small amount. And I just thought, that's what I want. And I did. I, I learned about the endocannabinoid system. I learned about all the different sorts of cannabis. I just felt like... I needed to do something because I thought if he dies, I will never forgive myself that I have not done something to mm-hmm. try and fight for him because he deserves it. And I, I had a lot of guilt, you know, because of when he was a baby, I felt like I missed stuff. I felt like I'd let him down. I know now that that probably isn't true. No. Of course. No, it's not. But it's what you feel as a mother. You feel like that anyway when your children are perfectly well. <laughs> you always feel like you make mistakes and you make cho- wrong choices. Yes, so when they're sick, it's very apparent, you know, it, it comes flooding those emotions. And I just thought, how do I deal with this guilt? Right, I've got to do something. So a lot of it was about me trying to feel better about how I felt about myself as well. I went to see the neurologist at Birmingham Children's and I said to him, I'd I'd started my research in the October 2016 and we went to see him in February 2017. In the January 2017 I actually went on this morning to talk about my desire to use cannabis with Alfie and we got loads of really lovely comments, loads of support and I thought right okay, I've got support here, you know, I'm not Mm. mad, I'm not Mm. doing the wrong thing, this is the right thing to do. So I set up a Facebook page called Alfie's Hope. I just decided to blog about what I wanted to do and let people see what it was like to be a parent of a child that was really ill because I think it's a hidden thing. I I, I get really frustrated about when people talk about carers as well because obviously it's a very important role, caring for the elderly, it's a very important thing to recognise young carers, absolutely, but we do not talk about carers of children, parents who are carers. You know, when you have a baby, you know for the first couple of years, three, four years, you know, it's going to be full on. But you know when they start school, they're going to start being more independent, they're going to make friends. That doesn't happen when you have a child with a disability. It never stops being the baby is. I don't think people are recognised and given enough credit for that. And you know, I, I, I just wanted to talk about that. And I just thought, well, how do I do it? I'll, I'll vlog, I'll, I'll just talk. Because I, I, I can't really, I like writing, but I'm not great at writing. So I thought, I'm good at talking, <laughs> I'll do that. So I created the Facebook page. Then we went to see the neurologist at Birmingham Children's. I talked to him about medical cannabis. And he said to me, if you talk to me again about that, I will send you to social services. I'll report you to social services. What? Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm not telling you I'm going to grow a plant in my garage and give it to my child. I'm telling you can we talk about this treatment for my son? He's in hospital every week with seizures. And that was what he said to me. And at that point, I just thought, "That's I'm done. I'm absolutely done with you. He thought you were going down some hippie track then and going to be self-administering. I don't know what he thought. I think he just thought it's illegal. I'm not talking to you about it, which was just disgraceful because Mm. I was desperately trying to save my child's life. Mm. He said to me there was a drug called Epidiolex coming out, uh, made by a company called GW Pharmaceuticals, which was an isolated CBD-only drug because, again, it has to be a single ca- a single compound to do double-blind placebo trials on. So I said, OK, fine, can you apply to that for us on compassionate grounds? But but they'd done a trial on two epilepsy conditions called Drave and LGS, which is Leonard Gastro Syndrome. So we got a response from GW Pharmaceuticals saying that Alfie didn't fit the criteria. That so devastating. Well, 
yes, it was devastating, but not surprising because every time I tried to do anything, I felt it was just doors in faces. You know, I never felt like really anyone wanted to help us. So I said, okay, fine. And then we went to see our local paediatrician, who's absolutely amazing guy, talked to me at length for hours about Alfie and about when I had my other baby, about what to do with her. And, you know, just a lovely, lovely man from India, really lovely guy. And I said to him, you know, I can't work with this guy anymore at Birmingham Children's Hospital. He's just blocking everything I want to do. I can't talk to him. I don't feel cared for. I don't feel looked after. I don't feel my son is. I feel like... We just go in every few months and he says, carry on as you are. And I said, he will die if we don't, if we do this. And he said, yeah, I quite agree with you. It's not good enough. So he actually referred us to a different doctor at Oxford, John Radcliffe, who I am absolutely so grateful to because he treated me like a human being, treated me like an equal. He didn't treat me like he was the doctor and I was the mum. He just, we were just two people trying to help my child. We saw him in the May, the first time, 2017, and then in the July we went into the hospital to go for a week-long EG, and they were going to try and treat him without steroids again. He ended up in intensive care again because he needs steroids, so that was we proved that. Um, his EEG was really bad. He basically said, right, every time he's ill, you bring him here. So we basically, every time he was ill, we had to take him to Oxford A&E instead of Warwick A&E. So that was... One time I had to take him because Drew was going to work and I had to give him rescue meds on the M40. On, in, I had to pull over at the side of the road. He was seizing in the front of the car with me, having a huge tonic-clonic seizure. I had to give him what's called buccal midazolam in his mouth. Again, absolutely terrifying. I remember just driving, you know, I'm just feeling like I was in a war zone. It was like, you know, mm-hmm. it's just so frightening to feel that you are the responsible person for this per- for your child. It's just, I was, I felt so out of my depth. I was just like, this is really frightening, but I did it. Um, I got him to A&E um, and we just kept doing that. And then at the end of July, he was just like, he got me, we were, had a meeting and I, I was so grateful to his honour, for his honesty, because I think also... A lot of doctors never say they don't know, which I think families would be a lot more appreciative if people just said, you know what, I just don't know. Mm. Because actually they're just people doing a job like we all are, you know. And for some reason, I think people sometimes look to them as like gods and they know everything. They don't know everything. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying that because I I feel sorry for them sometimes because I think they have a lot of pressure on them to know everything. And And they they don't. They can't know everything, especially with, with brains, especially with children's brains. We can't know everything. There's so much we still don't know. And I think a lot of people, me very much so, would be much happier if someone just said, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. I don't know. Instead of there's a lot of, sometimes a lot of, fluff you know that doesn't mean anything because they're trying to skirt around the fact that they don't know and this doctor sort of you know we had a long meeting in his room and he just said I you know if you carry on giving out for this amount of steroids or he has this amount of seizures he will die or become psychotic because he said the long-term use of steroids will damage his brain so badly he will have psychosis and we saw we saw customers that every time I came out of hospital he was very violent very aggressive he would scratch me bite me hit me I couldn't leave him in the room with Annie on her own because he would just attack her and my my partner's six foot three and plays rugby you know Alfie is seven now on the size of a 10 year old I would just I was terrified that he was going to become so violent and aggressive that I couldn't look after him anymore mm. and I didn't want him to go I didn't want him to be set you know who wants a section a six-year-old oh, you know God, it's yeah. just ridiculous yeah. I just you know so at that point I plucked up the courage and I said look 
doctor. I have done loads of research into medical cannabis, full extract cannabis oil. He said, well, there is Epidiolex, but that's not full extract, that's CBD. And he applied, uh, to be fair to him, he applied again for a trial for Epidiolex and it was refused. It was He said he actually phoned them and they refused it. So that was that. And I said to him, well, if that's refused, what about me taking him to Holland for treatment? And he's, his words were to me, you have no choice. And I will be, I'm grateful to him forever because if he hadn't have told me to go, I wouldn't have gone because I didn't want, I never wanted to do anything illegal and I never wanted to be irresponsible. You know, I've been brought up by two parents that have instilled right and wrong in me and be respectful and, and be responsible. And I wanted to be responsible. Even though I wanted to save my son's life, I always wanted to be responsible. We'd already been to see our, our MP who had supported it as well as long as we went to a paediatric neurologist. But when I talked to him about medical cannabis, it was really funny. I will never forget it. He said, but you're just his mum. You're not a doctor. You know, because I was saying medical cannabis could work for him. He said, yeah, but you're not a doctor. And I said, yeah, but there's no doctors in this country that know about it. So actually, I know more about it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but, you know, even MPs, even you know, the establishment look at parents as being you know not as good as doctors but your parents you know I held that baby in my body for nine months I know more than the doctor I'm sorry I do and I think that that is you know I hope that it's moving that way now where doctors are better at asking mothers what they think because we know a lot of the time but you know even then I just sort of I laugh it off because sort of okay whatever (laughs) you know fine I'm not a doctor great but I am his mum um but yeah this doctor was like yes absolutely go to Holland as long as you see a pediatric neurologist and I told him the hospital I wanted to go to the neurologist I wanted to see and he said yeah we'll try and get him as stable as possible so we put him because he wasn't at that time on any anti-epileptics because they just didn't do anything other than give him a few more days so we put him back on to a low dose of two anti-epileptics to give us a few more days to get to Holland and we went to Holland on the 14th of September 2017. And were you there for a long time? We were there for five months. You on actually a, moved there own. then, effectively? Yeah. We lived in a, an, in a holiday park for five months, <laughs> which was not fun. It wasn't a holiday by any stretch of imagination, mm. but a holiday park was the cheapest place. I mean, The Hague, where we went, is absolutely beautiful, but it's extremely expensive, and obviously the pound's very weak. Um, between January 2017 and September 2017 through our Alfie's Hope Facebook page we actually had a Just Giving site as well and we'd raised um, about £20,000 to go to Holland as well we also raised some other money from family and friends so we had about 30000 at our disposal and we actually spent it all because <laughs> five months there we had to part, half of the money went on his medication because mm-hmm. we had to obviously pay for all his other medication and his cannabis oil while we were there so yeah we went to see the pediatric neurologist who was absolutely amazing and I will again she's a wonderful woman very holistic which is what I liked as well and I don't know if it was just her or whether that's the way the Dutch are but she wanted to know you know what he ate Mm -hmm. you know his exercise um, his lifestyle everything which I don't always think is thought about uh, necessarily in this country so she was very holistic she even talked to me about for me she talked about um uh, a thing called e- EDMR, which is um, basically a thing that hypnotherapists do for trauma, which I nearly knocked me over with a feather because I thought she's not trying to give me tablets; she's trying to tell me to go to a hypnotherapist. You know, and this is a mainstream <laughs> doctor in a hospital, and I was, I was just, you know, it's amazing. And and I have had hypnotherapy; and I find it amazing. So yes, yeah, she prescribed Alfie CBD oil to start with. So this is the difference 
the oil that Alfie is on is, a, is from a company called Bedrocan. So Bedrocan are a company in Holland who are actually owned by a Canadian company, but they originated in Holland and they make oil to GMP standards. So GMP means Good Medical Practice Certification, and that is issued by the European Medicines Agency. So it's not something you get lightly. It means that the oil that they make is free of impurities, that it's consistent. Every batch they make is consistent and it's a pharmaceutical grade. So you know that that you're ingesting something that is very, very safe. And there's only one company in Europe with it. So it's not like, you know, everyone gets it. it so we knew that we were being prescribed a really good uh, oil. Alfie was prescribed something called Bedrolite CBD. The difference with Bedrolite CBD to what we were trying to get in the UK called Epidiolex is that Bedrolite CBD is called full, it's full extract cannabis oil, basically. So it's got a very low dose of THC in it higher than what's legal in the UK but still a very low dose I think it's 0.3 and the legal dose legal limit in the UK was 0.2 but it's also got terpenes and other cannabinoids so there's lots of other cannabinoids there's over 120 cannabinoids in the cannabis plant they all do things and you know there's still lots of research that needs to be done but there's things called CBG the single CBN and they all help with different parts of of regulating your systems basically and the way CBD or, or cannabis oil works is that we have something called an endocannabinoid system where we have CB1 and CB2 receptors in our brains and also throughout our body. The endocannabinoid system produces its own cannabinoids called anandamides, and there's another one as well, which I can't remember. But um, So we produce our own cannabinoids. And what those that system does is call regulate all our systems so achieve homeostasis, basically. So we have to have a homeostasis in our body to be well. When your body doesn't produce cannabinoids properly, that's when you can get symptoms of not achieving homeostasis. So that's in a basic, basic how the endo how the endocannabinoid system works. And we all have one, and we all need cannabinoids introduced, you know, in different ratios. Sometimes our receptors are very good, and they they uptake a very low amount, so we can achieve homeostasis really well. Some people need extra cannabinoids, which is why when people take cannabis for pain or for epilepsy, it helps because it helps the body to regulate its systems. Mm. Yeah, he started on full extract CBD oil. Um, we did that for three months, and his seizures just started to stretch out. I mean, it didn't work for the first five weeks, which was really difficult. And I remember um, leaving the hospital because he was still going to hospital every week when we were first in Holland. And I left the hospital, and I literally pulled to the side of the road. I sat and I cried and I screamed and I literally, I know it sounds weird, but I just said to the universe, I said, please help me, please help me, my son will die, please help me. And I know that sounds a bit crazy, but I absolutely believe in that. I believe that sometimes when you do things like that, just something happens and maybe it was just a coincidence again, but it was a, a great outpouring of emotion and within the next week he started to really do well and his seizures started to ebb away and it was probably just a comforting thing for me to feel like that you know the universe was sort of helping me but it just was a really sort of poignant moment that I'll never forget and you know he started to go and then he went every 17 days and then he went every 24 days and when he did have a seizure he had two and he still had to have treatment but it was much less treatment and he got over them really quickly and we were home within 24 hours and we weren't in hospital for seven days sometimes, which is what we used to be. And then after three months, we introduced a very low dose of THC. So we use a pure THC called Bedeca, which is 2% THC. Um, and he's on three milligrams a day of that and then his seizures stopped completely. 
and we have no side effects. He's not stoned. He's not mm. out of his head. You know, it's a THC that they're really against in the UK, isn't it? The THC is what they're really against. But actually, there's one study that has been done in the in the in America in teenagers who smoke cannabis. Well, when you smoke cannabis, the strains that are grown for recreational use and what's made by drug dealers, because that's usually people that use cannabis go go to drug dealers for recreational use. They put extra THC in it and and it's very high in THC because people want to get stoned Mm. and they looked at children who smoke you know teenagers who smoked high strength or recreational cannabis which will be high strength in THC that if you have a predisposed mental health disorder they can be exacerbated so the levels of of people becoming psychotic in this country hasn't changed for years it's remained pretty level and you know they then say, like for example, the the guidance that came out when the law did change. There's a there's a body called the BPNA, British Pediatric Neurology Association, who cite that that research as saying, oh, but THC can damage the growing brain. They don't actually, in their statement, cite any references to any research. They're just looking at that research that was done into teenagers who smoke cannabis, and they're using it to their own ends, basically, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and that's. Obviously, I don't have any proof for that, but that's what it looks like. And, you know, I have to make that very clear. That's just my opinion. But it, it seems, you know, at the moment, there is so little research, you can't say that. And actually, let's talk about children with epilepsy. Children that are uncontrolled. I know family, for example, who have a child who has has 120 seizures a day and probably the same at night. Her parents have to take it in turn to stay awake with her at night to suction her so she doesn't die on her own spit. And her doctor saying to her, I can't give you full extract cannabis oil because it might damage her brain. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make if it was sense. a comedy, it'd be hilarious. But it's not a comedy. It's people's lives. It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. So I just, you know, I, I'm sorry, but anti-epileptics and steroids damage babies' brains. Mm. You know, let's let's look at the risk and benefits of all these medicines if we're going to look at the risk and benefits of THC. And as I say as well, THC in epilepsy, the use of it is so low. The main body of the treatment is full extract CBD oil. That's what helps. If you add in a little bit, little bit extra THC, it helps even more. That's all we're saying. You know, that's what I've witnessed in my son. That's what other parents have witnessed in their children. You know, I think we need to calm down a bit. And I think that's the thing. A lot of, you know, this sort of rhetoric that's coming out from the doctors at the moment is, oh, you know, they're completely pan- And I think they're completely panicking about THC. But let's talk about all the other drugs then as well, if we're going to talk about THC in that in that vein. Because I think that's... It's hypocrisy otherwise, and, that, mm. and that's very dangerous because it's ruling with fear, and we mustn't rule with fear. We must rule with education and, yeah. and, and facts. So um, Alfie was doing very well, and then we had to come home because we ran out of money. So in the February 2018... That must have been gutting. Mm, well, also gu- worrying. gutting, worrying, and... Uh, but we wanted to come home as well. Oh, we was yeah. we were very isolated. Drew had to stop working. He's a, he's self employed, as I say, which we were very lucky. We rented our house to our friend. We were very lucky. It was my mum always says it's serendipity, and it was. It, everything meant meant to be, but it was very hard, and we wanted to come home. So we had to take Alfie off the oil, and it made him very ill. Took him off the THC because t- you're not allowed to bring. Well, it we're not allowed the UK. to. The t- we're not allowed to bring the THC into the UK. So we took him off the THC. He ended up in hospital again every 10 days. What we did is if we kept him on a CBD, which did help him. And we upped that quite high and that did help him. He still had seizures, but he wasn't in hospital as much. And uh, and that really 
is the only way we could fight the campaign because by making him more stable. So, it, but it wasn't good enough, you know, it still wasn't good enough. So our MP organised, I mean, the way the campaign work is, campaign worked actually is that we, we got in contact with um, Molly Meacher, Baroness Molly Meacher, who's an amazing woman. Um, and we're so grateful to her for all the help she's given us and our family. She's a wonderful woman. We got in touch with the APPG on drugs reform and spoke to her and told her, what, you know, we were in Holland. We needed to get this medicine. Um, she was brilliant, really, really supportive because she's been campaigning on cannabis legislation for years before me. Um, she put us in touch with a man called Peter Carroll, who's uh, the director of a campaign group called End Our Pain. And he came to see me at my mum's house because when we went, come back from Holland, we went to live with my mum because we still had someone living in our house. And he came to see us and he said, look, you know, we can help you with this campaign because I didn't know, you know, I knew I had to campaign and I knew I had to get the government to do what I wanted, but I had no idea how I was going to do that. And I needed someone who had lots of media contacts and was good with strategy and I'm just Alfie's mum, you know, I don't... So I met him, he's an absolutely wonderful guy and we owe so much to him and, you know... He's, he fought for Alfie like Alfie was his own, I think, you know, at some points. He absolutely adores Alfie and we were just so lucky to have people in our lives like that, you know. And I must say that's the one thing that I've learnt from this campaign is that there are some absolutely mm. amazing people in the world. There's some mm. horrible people, but yeah. there's some amazing people that yeah. really will do what they can for people. And that is, they're the sort of people that I think that we must champion and we must hope that, come through in the world mm. greater and louder than the people that are not like that so you know he is absolutely amazing man and he met me and he said we can help you so that was great we went and met the home office um our, our mp was very good it, we were very lucky as well as i say serendipity our, ho- our our mp at the time was the attorney general <laughs> so that was helpful so obviously he had a lot of um influence because he's the lawyer of yeah. the conservative party so we were that was wonderful so he, we had a meeting with um, the policing minister Nick Hurd, and all his, obviously his officials, the law, the lawyers, and the drugs minister, the drugs, the head of the drugs legislation side, and we went and met with them, and they said, and you'll laugh at this, they said, uh, we told them a story, we told them what we did, we told them that Alfie was very stable, we had a report from our neurologist in Holland, who said, you know, this is what happened A to B all the way through, and then they said. Oh, you can have epidiolex. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's funny. How funny that is. We can have epidiolex now. We couldn't have epidiolex before, but now we can have epidiolex. You're desperate for us to have epidiolex. They, you know, they didn't, they did oh, so I don't think they counted on me going to Holland with my child. And I suppose then at that point they were like, oh, and I said, but epidiolex isn't the same. Epidiolex is an isolated cannabinoid. It's CBD only. It's not going to work like this because I've proved that full extract cannabis works really well. I'm not going backwards, mm. but it just makes me laugh how you can't have something. And then when you start to ruffle feathers, you can have everything. You know, I thought they could have presented yes. it to me on a golden platter. They're <laughs> desperate for me to have it. And to shut you up as <laughs> yeah, well. Basically, just shut me up and make me go away. And I thought, no, no way. I've gone this far. There's no way. So they said, okay, well, if you're not going to accept that, then we could think about doing a trial, um, a a full extract cannabis oil trial with Alfie. We went away and talked to our doctors, and our doctors said, you can't do a trial with one person who's already on the on the medication. You haven't got a placebo. It just it doesn't work. So we went back to them, and we said, no, that's not going to work. We want to apply for a license as, a, you know, this is a Schedule 1 drug. We want to apply for a license as a doc- as a pharmaceutical company does for research. We want our doctors to be able to do that. 
So they said, okay, and went away and thought about it. And at that, also, we, we our change.org petition was building a lot of momentum because I'd been doing some media. I'd went on BBC Breakfast. Um, I did, the, you know, I'm so passionate about it. I was quite nervous the first time I went on, but now I love it because I just think I can say what I like and people are really interested yes. and really supportive and it's great. So our petition was building. We then, uh, End Our Pain then created a day for us where MPs were going to come and talk to us in London about it. So that was the end of March. Um, and we had loads, over 150 MPs and Lords came, which is unprecedented. They End Our Pain said, you know, that, that's really good. Talked to us about Alfie. We took Alfie with us, but he wasn't in a very good place because he'd just come out of a cluster. So he didn't cope very well with it, but we did take him. I haven't really took him to anything else since because I actually don't think it's appropriate. Having seen him in that space Mm -hmm. he didn't cope with it and I just think actually that's not fair it's not fair on him he's a little boy I don't want him to be a media celebrity I want I don't want to be a media celebrity I but I don't want him to be you know I don't mind pictures being taken of him I don't mind people having him in the media but I don't want him in interviews and I don't want him front of house it's not right he's a little boy and he's a very unwell little boy at that time so that was a mistake of mine and I didn't haven't done that again but um, we had a really good support and that day also we walked to number 10 Downing Street and gave in our petition uh, Drew, Alfie, Annie my daughter and me went to the front door, knocked on the door and we were let in which I couldn't believe because that's unheard of you know, you, they give petitions well, every day Were they expecting you? Uh, did they know you were coming? I think so I think so, we have a very very wonderful man called Sir Mike Penning who supports us and he is a Conservative MP, but he's extremely com- extremely supportive of Alfie's campaign and a wonderful man. And um, I believe that he um, ensured that we got into the number 10. So we're very, very grateful to him for all his hard work on behalf of Alfie as well. So we went in and we met Sir Mike Penning, Nick Hurd, the policing minister, who actually we've I've got a great deal of respect for because he was in a very difficult position. And, and when I've met him since, he's you know, being lovely to me. Maybe he's like that to everyone, but I'd like to think that, you know, when I have had private phone calls with him, he's always been very nice and respectful to me and and said, you know, thank you to me for the work that I've done, which Mm. I think is pretty nice. He he doesn't have to say that. So him, our MP, Jeremy Wright, and um, we were sat down having coffee, talking about how we might do this licence, and then the door opens and the Prime Minister walks in. Wow. which we didn't think was going to happen at all. And I, I stood up and I said, hello, I can't remember what I said, I think, hello, Prime Minister, because I, I was just <laughs> absolutely like, oh, didn't know this was going to happen. I wasn't prepared. And she came over and to be fair to her, she was actually, you know, it was brief because it was when the Russian thing was going on, all the problems with Russia. So they'd just come out of a, um, a cabinet meeting and we were walking up the stairs and I saw Boris Johnson walking out and... Um, Amber Rudd and that's you know it was quite crazy to be in number 10 and see all these people so anyway she walked in and she said I'm very busy but I just wanted to come and say hello and meet Alfie and everything and and she said can you just tell me a bit more about your story and I told her about Alfie and she said well we'd like to help you within the law she said you can apply for a license under compassionate grounds um and we'll make it as speedy as possible and I just was like well thank you very much you know that's what we wanted that's what we wanted to hear Mm. so that was great that she did that she left um and we came outside and obviously did a few interviews to talk about um what was was said um so that was wonderful we went away then 
Then our doctor, our paediatric neurologist, unfortunately, he had to go on compassionate leave because he had a family bereavement. And we had another doctor who was quite on the shelf about whether Alfie should have this medicine. But, you know, there was no denying that he'd gone from having 400 seizures a month to none. You know, you can't... That's evidence you can't sort of mess around with. So he he said, OK, um, we'll apply for the licence and I'll prescribe. And then he was blocked, unfortunately, by his hospital trust. Um, even though the government had said that he could do it, the hospital trust said that he, Alfie still had to have epidiolex, which, even though I presented evidence to show that epidiolex was nothing like bedrolite, they still wouldn't accept it. So that's something that we still have ongoing with them as a complaint because it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, we had two doctors. Um, that's all the other thing I was going to say. Before our doctors went off on compassionate leave, he actually also tried to prescribe for us because we had a meeting while we were in Holland and he was blocked as well. To, to, and he was told that if he did prescribe for us, he'd be breaching GMC rules and he'd be sacked. Actually, we know that's not true uh, because we had Lord O'Shaughnessy ask a, um, a question about it in the Lords and any doctor can prescribe anything off-label, unlicensed as a special if they believe and they can prove with evidence that it's the right thing to do. And you have the evidence. And we have the evidence. Yeah. So we felt there was a little bit of bullying going on, unfortunately. I think that's... And like... it's, not, it's not down to costs. It wouldn't be a cost thing from the hospital trust. Not when our local hospital trust would have to pay for it and Alfie was costing the local hospital trust nearly £200,000 a year going to hospital every week. <laughs> He's now saving them, you know, £170,000 a year by not being in hospital. So, mm-hmm. no, I think it was a, led, a, a negligence issue. I think it was fear again. Um, I think it was lots of stuff, but not what was in the best interest of Alfie. And I think, as far as I know, probably one of the first... Uh, oaths that a doctor takes under the GMC is to put their patient first which wasn't happening um, not from the trust anyway, from the doctors yes but not from the trust we then had to find a group of doctors who were willing to help us so we went off and, and we were very lucky our GP was brilliant and said I can see all this money we're being we're saving more than, you know obviously it's great to have you as well but you know GPs are very stretched mm. with their, their budgets and he was like this is crazy it has to be prescribed you know um, and then we met a wonderful man called Professor Mike Barnes through End Our Pain. He is a neurologist and a specialist in brain injury, but also um, one of the, well, the leading uh, cannabis-based medicines expert in the country, in the UK. He worked on the Sativex trial. Sativex is a medication made by GW Pharmaceuticals, which is a one-to-one CBD and THC spray, which is used in MS for spasticity. Interestingly, a Schedule 4 drug. Uh, which is interesting because it's THC, which is Schedule 1. But there we go. Again, interesting. Um, so Professor Mike Barnes said to us, yeah, I'll help you. And he, and and when we met Nick Hurd, the police minister, he said, I don't mind who does it. We just need a doctor to do it. He, As I say, he was sort of desperate to help us. He was convinced by what we were saying to him. Mm-hmm. He just wanted a doctor to do it. He said, you've got to have it. He even said our GP could do it. You know, he, he just said anyone can apply for the licence. We just need a doctor. So we got together a group of doctors, Professor Mike Barnes, our GP, and also two other paediatric neurologists who weren't going to be prescribing, but they were going to provide governance, which was great. So they were, they're wonderful people as well. I won't name them because I don't know if they want me to. Um, so we then started the application and it took... We were in four months in, and we were they were still saying you've got to do this. You know the le- the legislation people were still, you know, providing us with all this extra. I mean, it was it was. I mean, I remember Molly Meach saying to me, "It's like you're trying to import plutonium." 
because it was just <laughs> madness you know madness but we were like okay we'll play the game we just want to get this license um in the end um i had enough basically um they were saying lots of other things we went to a meeting our mp again as i said jeremy Wright, amazing man the attorney general at the time organized a meeting in his office in parliament with all the people from the home office and our doctors and us trying to get this resolved because i think he'd had enough of it then by then it was four months in this is ridiculous so with this was june he basically went through the list of problems and he said you know and agreed them all which was great that's what we needed because there's a lot of to and fro in all with this problem that problem mm. emails here and there and here and there and it was just ridiculous so we sat down went through everything they then said, OK, fine, we resolved everything, we went away, and then they phoned me up, someone from the Home Office phoned me up and said, oh, no, there's just... And I just went, no, I'm done. I just went absolutely mental at this guy. And I've always tried to be very respectful. It's one thing I'm really proud of is that when people talk about our campaign, they will say that I was dignified and polite. Again, I think I've had a, you know, a good upbringing by good parents. And I, I like to think that the way you achieve things is by working with people. Yeah. It's not by forcing their hand. It's not by embarrassing them. It's not by breaking the law. It's by being respectful to the law that there is and trying to work a way around it and trying to get people to think and see why this law probably isn't right. And that's where I come from. But at that point, I just thought, I'm done. I've had enough. (laughs) The next, that was on the Monday. And the next morning I was on the Today programme with John Humphreys just to talk about my meeting with Theresa May which happened, she looked me in the eye and she said to me, you can have a licence application and it will be speedy and it will be compassionate and it will be as quick as possible. Well, it wasn't compassionate, it wasn't speedy. I felt like I was being... And and, and, and at the time as well, Alfie still wasn't as well as he might be. So, you know, very stressful. And I don't feel like we were very being dealt with by compassion, you know. I think that's a problem, unfortunately. A lot of these officials and these bureaucrats, they sit in their offices and actually... I mean, some of them are amazing. I mean, I've spoken to some of them in the homes of amazing people. Some of them, I think, are very bureaucratic and they just do their job and they don't think about how they impact on families like mine. So anyway, I went on that meeting, uh, on that radio show. It was a great interview. John Humphreys was absolutely amazing to me because I know some people have said he can be quite frightening, but he's absolutely amazing. And he put his arms around me and he hugged me and he said, if there's anything I can do for you, I'm here. And I thought, wow, that's great, you know. Um, I did loads of other interviews that morning because obviously the phone just went mental because I'd done this interview about... Because that's the other thing as well. We'd agreed with the Home Office to be media silent. So the whole four months, I'd not done any media. Mm. Because again, I wanted to be respectful of them. They said, if you, if, you're, if you don't badger us, we'll do the right thing. Fine. But at that point, I just thought, no, you're playing me a bit here because I'm being quite respectful and you're not doing what you've said. So I've had enough. And then I got a phone call from Nick Hurd and he said to me, Alfie's licence will be issued today and we're really sorry and you've done amazing work and thank you very much. So again, I, I was a bit frightened when he phoned me. I thought he's going to shout at me. And, and, and the Peter from NRP said, you're not going to shout at you because if he does, you'll tell the papers. And I was like, <laughs> so whether a lot of it's old flannel, but I like to think that actually the stuff he said to me, he was sincere and I've met him since and he's been very lovely to me. So... Um, and he did say, he said, I'm sorry it's taken so long, it it, we, it shouldn't have, but you have to understand we've never done this before and we're worried about it, you know. And it, they're human beings at the end of the day and they're mm-hmm. working within the law, aren't they? And they weren't going to change the law at that point. So I went on to the news and obviously I did know, but 
I couldn't say that I knew when I was being interviewed. So I was interviewed on ITV and they told me actually because the Home Secretary announced it 15 minutes earlier than we thought. So I was actually live on air when he announced it in the Parliament and she actually told me and that was amazing to be live on air when that happened. But he announced that day that Alfie would have his licence too. Alfie received the first licence in the UK for medical cannabis, but also that there would be a review into the use of, of cannabis-based medicines. And um, in March, the government said there was no no health benefits to cannabis. And in June, he was saying there might be. So... Mm. It was absolutely amazing. And um, within two weeks, the Chief Medical Officer, Dame Sally Davis, had done a report to say that there was, yes, there was evidence to say that medical cannabis could be used for various um, symptoms and pain from chemotherapy and uh, MS and epilepsy and things like that. So, you know, that was really good. And then um, the ACMD had to do a review and obviously other, you know, bodies were doing reviews and it was all really, really positive. And then the Home Secretary obviously announced on the 1st of November that the law would change and that medical cannabis would be moved to a Schedule 2, including THC, which meant that doctors can prescribe it legally without a licence under what's called a specials um, because it's not licensed. And I think that's then, now why we've come up against all these problems. Because obviously the 1st of November, I was just like, this is brilliant. You know, we've gone from a position where we were trying to save my son's life to a position where we could save many lives Mm -hmm. and give people, families, better lives. You know, that's my passion. And I, you know, I shouldn't, I know I probably shouldn't focus completely on childhood epilepsy, but I know what it's like to be the mother of a very severe epileptic. Yes, I don't know what it's like to have MS. I don't know what it's like to have Parkinson's. So, you know, whilst everyone should have it who needs it, that's my focus. And at that time, I'd been asked to be, and I'm now an ambassador for Endar Pain, the campaign group. So I've been working a lot with families, supporting them, helping them to lobby their MPs, helping them to talk to their doctors, helping them, you know, in some level to be a friend, someone I never had. You know, I never had anyone to talk to who had children with epilepsy. And, and it's really nice for me, actually, to talk to other mothers who've got children with epilepsy. So I know that, you know, the fact that I still share a bed with my son is not weird. It's normal when mm-hmm. you've got a, ch- a child with epilepsy, you know, stuff like that, yeah. you know, to make me. And and also I talk to all the mothers about following their gut instinct, because I know if I had not, like I said to you, when Alfie was first born, I thought, well, who am I? What do I know? I'm just his mum. And now I know that actually what I believe is right for him all the time, because I've proved that mm. if I would listened to doctors, he wouldn't be here. You know, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't listen to their doctors. Of course not. But you also listen to your heart and you listen to your soul and you listen to your gut and you you follow that as well. Mm. So the law was changed on the 1st of November. But unfortunately, um, Peter said to me, actually, which is a great analogy, he said the Home Office had a crystal vase and the Home Secretary showed great leadership and was very good at this. And I thought, you know, he really dealt with it very well. He saw a need and he dealt with it. You know, that was it. It was like he passed a crystal vase to the Department of Health and they smashed it on the floor because literally the guidelines that they've issued are so restrictive that there's no doctor at the moment that we know of in this country that feels happy to prescribe. So we've gone to a point where we've had this great elation, we've changed the law and families are so excited. You know, there's some families out there, their children have tried 10, 15 different drugs, had brain surgery, still having seizures every day. Great hope, great joy. This is amazing stopped all stopped because the guidelines basically say that this has to be a medicine of last resort so there's over 20 anti-epileptics are you saying that a child of three years old has to try 20 anti-epileptics which takes a long long time take years 
Um, are you saying that they need brain surgery before, you know, it's medical cannabis, as I say, has such low side effect profile that this is just, I'm not saying it should be the first drug, but it could be the third. It doesn't have to be the, the Final, end. It doesn't yeah. have to be the end. So that's very frustrating. But also as well, it's, there's not enough assurances that people are safe. So we've had one family that doctor did actually prescribe and then they withdrew it because they felt really worried about doing it because they were worried the GMC would, you know, have them hauled up and they'd get sacked. I think that's a problem. Again, as I said to you before, there's a lot of fear-driven information coming out. The RCP, the Royal College of Physicians, basically the NHS... Um, issued guidance on the 1st of November but because NICE haven't done their review yet that won't be done till the end of next year they've relied on the RCP the Royal College of Physicians and the BPNA for advice which are two two bodies um and the RCP said there's not enough evidence or any evidence for um the use of medical cannabis in pain but that's not true there's over 25 research studies saying that there is um you know evidence that it can be really good for pain the bpna say that gmp oil is akin to buying it off the internet so they're basically saying the oil that my son is on is the same as buying on ebay which is just absolutely ridiculous because the european medical council would not issue certification to cannabis oil companies like like Bedrocan if it was you know some you know unregulated mm. stuff mm-hmm. and the thing is i think what they can't get their head round is that you can't do double-blind placebo trials in full extract cannabis oil. You can't, because double-blind placebo trials are based on one single compound. Full extract cannabis oil is over 120 cannabinoids and terpenes. If you had to split them all up and do individual research on each one, it would take 30 years. You know, I know there's babies (laughs) that haven't got 30 years, you know. We're pharmaceuticalizing something that doesn't need to be pharmaceuticalized. It's already safe. It's already effective in a full extract form. You you get what's called the entourage effect when you use full extract cannabis oil. So it basically works best. You have lower doses because you don't need as much because it works with all the different cannabinoids on your endocannabinoid system. That's how it works. So my fear is that what we're trying to do is pharmaceuticalize a medicine that doesn't need that because it's so safe anyway. You don't need to do that. So... That's why we've got these the brakes on now, and that's why I'm carrying on campaigning as I am for End Our Pain and for all the families I work with. And we've got a particular petition as well, which now has nearly 500,000 signatures that talks about the way families are affected and the fact that we want the NHS just to relax the guidance a little bit and give doctors the confidence to prescribe. Because I do know there's lots of doctors in this country that want to prescribe, but they're frightened. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. That's so wrong to to make professional people frightened to do their job. We shouldn't be have in that situation. And I think also what I'd like to see is these professional bodies who say that it's dangerous. Let's provide us with some research. Then you know, anyone can write a piece of paper that says this is dangerous. I can do that. You need to provide research. You need to prove what you're saying is right, and then. Fine, you know, we can all get together and we can talk about it. But also, let's, if we're going to say that cannabis medicine is dangerous, let's look at all the other drugs that children are given and let's look at the risk benefits of those drugs. Because I know, yes, they can work really well in some children, but they also cause mental health side effects. They also cause swollen gums, bleeding, you can't sleep, you can't, go, you can't wake up, you can't eat, you do eat too much. They've all got side effects. 
let's talk about all of them then if we're going to talk about cannabis like that and I think that's where we're in a very dangerous place at the moment and I'd really like to see a much clearer guidance from the NHS and actually balanced because at the moment it's not balanced it's all very negative um there is a society called the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, which Professor Mike Barnes has started, which he started for clinicians who want to learn about cannabis. That's what we do. Let's educate people. Let's, you know, let's help yeah. people to feel confident to prescribe instead of going, oh, you can't do that. It's dangerous. It's this, it's that, it's the other. That's not how we're going to help people. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done still. My little boy is safe. He has his prescription. He will never be without his medicine. I make sure of that. But I also am not the sort of person that wants to live in the world where there's three... I mean, there's now three children with prescription cannabis. Um, Sophia Gibson, who's in Northern Ireland, also Billy Caldwell. Obviously, uh, Billy's mother did do a media campaign. She, she for... had. She tried to bring some stuff into the country, didn't yes, she? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, in the end, the medicine was given to her son because he became very unwell. And she had the third licence, we had the first, then it was Sophia Gibson and then it was her. We shouldn't live in a country where there's three children that benefit from Philextrate Cannabis Oil and that's why I carry on what I'm doing. Because, mm. you know, some people say, say to me, well, you know, you should have just like gone away and had a nice life with Alfie. But I think, well, I can't live, that's not the world I want to live in. I couldn't live with myself, actually, because I have people every day emailing me, telling me, horrendous stories that have happened to their children you know epilepsy is just you know affects so many people and you know that's not who I am you know I have to help these people and if by me talking about it and annoying people about it then and that helps them then that's what I'll carry on doing did you ever think that there would be a day when you'd be doing this kind of thing absolutely not you know I used to, um, I didn't really like school very much, I wasn't very academic, I was very, I was into drama and I did A-level dance, I lo- I'm very sort of, dr- <laughs> you might say I'm very dramatic, but yeah, <laughs> I am, I love drama and things like that, but I also always got told off for talking, when I'm passionate about something I love to talk, I think, you know, it's great, I love talking to people, I love learning about people and I've never found something in life that I'm good at, really. You know, I've you know I've never had a career, let's say, um, in that sense. I've never found something I'm really passionate about. But when but I had my children, yeah, and when I had my children, it ignited something in me. The love that I feel for them ignited something in me. Obviously, like many parents, but also to see what cannabis medicine has done for my son. We've gone from a point where he had no quality of life and he used to want to ride a bike and he'd sit on his bike and pedal backwards because his brain just wasn't working. Within two days of buying him a bike for his birthday, he learned to ride it. Without, I bought stabilisers. We didn't need to put them on. You know, he's learned to ride a horse. He's learned to speak. His speaking is coming. To see that is ignited so much passion in me because he has no side effects and he has these amazing things that happen to him and I want I want every family with a child with epilepsy who hasn't got control with the normal interventions to be able to feel that joy I'm not saying it might work like that I mean I think Alfie's very lucky I think he's probably quite unique the same as Billy and Sophia you know but they've all had a great improvement I I don't know anyone that's used medical cannabis that's not seen an improvement so I'm not saying everyone will be seizure free and it will be wonderful you know I'm not an idiot but at the same point I just want people to be able to try because all the time they're being told no you can't try this they're all sitting there thinking well that might help my child to be well that's a ridiculously wrong situation for people to be in and also as well what I question as well is 
why does the government give out three licenses and say that's fine, but then the doctors are saying it's not safe? Are they putting my child in danger then? And that's okay? Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous and it's not, there's not a sort of blended approach. It's, it's, some people are saying this, some people are saying this, and, it, you know, that's not right. And so, yeah, I just, I, I'm so passionate about it because I believe in people having the best life. And as I said to you before, many parents suffer. You know, many women, I was speaking to a woman the other day whose um, son's very seriously ill with, with epilepsy. She's an anaesthetist. She's now a full-time carer. She's gone from having a career and having friends and having a life to being at home 24-7 with a very sick child. We need to talk about those women because those women are educated, clever women who are having to look after a disabled child all the time, which is hell, to be quite honest. You, however much you love that child, it's, it's, it's hell at times. It's horrendous. You feel so so sort of stifled because you you want to engage you want to do a job you want to use your brain and you can't you're just watching someone you love suffer and you go through grief you go through anger all those things and I think if I can help some of those women to go back to work and pay their taxes and be people like they want to be you know what an amazing what an amazing thing that is to achieve and I you know that's why I do what I do and I'm not saying it's easy sometimes it's not easy sometimes I talk to women and 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 usually it's women I have one dad that I speak to or two dads but you know talk tell me about what they did in hospital and what their children went through and it gives me flashbacks you know it gives me flashbacks and I think about my son and I sometimes get off the phone and I cry my eyes out Mm. you know that isn't helping me get over what I've been through but then I have to just carry on because it's something within me as I say it's ignited a passion within me that will not go away so I have to carry on <laughs> and Alfie now much better yes at school doing yeah. well at school every day he has a one-to-one he's still he, you know you can't go through what he's been through and you, you he has a genetic disorder that does cause autism and OCD and learning delay and stuff we don't know what is the condition what's all the drugs he's had put in his little brain for all these years you know we don't know who he is really but we'll find hopefully we'll find out and if we can keep the seizures at bay you know things will hopefully flourish for him but as I say he's learned so many new skills in just the matter because he got his THC back in July so really in the very he's been seizure free since July and he's learned all these skills already so you know give it a year who knows and and it is so special for me to see my child have a good quality of life. That's all it's ever been about. Thank you very much, Hannah Deacon. Thank you.